I'm Afshin Ratansi and welcome back to a brand new season of Going Underground, still broadcasting all around the world from Dubai in the UAE. Today, while Britain gives away billions of dollars of weapons to fight Russia, it hosts the grand finale of the politically charged Eurovision Song Contest on behalf of Ukraine, such as the full spectrum cultural and military unity in Europe against Moscow. Joining me from elite military post West Point in New York is a US soldier and veteran who has advised Ukraine's Armed Forces Commander-in-Chief General Zaluzhny, Dan Rice, who won his Purple Heart in the Iraq War, is now president of the American University, which is in Ukraine. Dan, thanks so much for uh, uh, coming on the uh, show. So, uh, I mean, in your capacity as Zelensky's commander-in-chief of Ukraine, as it were, how has your life changed since 24th February 2022? Uh, yes, great question. Uh, you know, obviously the uh, the war uh, was shocking for the whole world and, uh, and and changed a lot of lives. Some lives forever. Some are no longer with us, unfortunately. Some many victims. Um, for me, uh, I became involved with the uh, uh, the Ukraine war after I took in some refugees in Miami, and uh, and they were Ukrainian refugees, and I thought that would be the end of it. But it turns out one of them knew. President Zelensky and General Zeluzhny, and they saw my West Point materials all about my house. I, le I left so what, them in my what house. What is uh, General Zeluzhny like? Because, I mean, he was in the U.S. papers for getting a million dollars from a Microsoft um, heir, Gregory Stepanets. Uh, what, what is he like? Well, I mean, that's a great story uh, because, you know, immediately when he received inheritance of a million dollars, he gave 100% of it to the Ukrainian Armed Forces. So he took zero dollars. So he's kind of, he's... He's a committed, humble servant, um, great sense of humor, very Western. He's, uh, uh, you know, he's broken away from the old Soviet style command and control. He's a great leader, and he has uh, developed his leaders and subordinates uh, to care about human life, uh, to uh, to be much more humane than the old Russian Soviet style. And, uh, you know, I think uh, history will judge uh, both he and President Zelensky were the right two people at the right time. You know, Zelensky leading the international effort and the political effort to get the the the, country, the, the world to rally around Ukraine, and then General Zeluzny to focus only on winning the war. I mean, did he know about the Thayer uh, Leadership uh, Institute that you're part of, where I think you're speaking to be from, which talks about the, uh, the sort of cross-dimensional leadership uh, uh styles and yeah, you know, his, uh, uh, courses that you yeah, do, when, which is corporate yeah, when, as well as military. Yeah, when I was introduced to his staff, you know, they vetted me to see who I was and and what my background was. And, you know, I'm a West Point uh, former Airborne Ranger qualified officer and served in Iraq. And, uh, and yeah, my uh, partners and I started a company 13 years ago today, actually, and uh, called Thayer Leadership at West Point. And our goal was to teach military leadership principles and learning to corporate executives. And so uh, my background was very well suited to go advise uh, Ukrainian military. And when I say advise, mostly what they needed was for me to help translate things back and forth between the U.S. Since there was no U.S. embassy at the time and there was no U.S. boots on the ground, still aren't, there was a big gap between the two armies. And so I kind of filled that gap. You mentioned uh, no American soldiers there, but I'm sure you're aware of uh, uh, the uh, so-called U.S. mainstream media already covering the Pentagon uh, leaks, which suggested that uh, there are indeed U.S. forces on the ground. Do you think they'll be yeah, part of any counteroffensive? And when is the counteroffensive yeah. happening? 
I don't believe there's any U.S. troops on the ground. I, don't, I think all those leaks were rubbish. And I've seen certain parts of the leaks that I know were rubbish. So I think the, whatever those leaks were, were Why bad are they investigating them then? There's a subject of a oh, multi-agency investigation, investigation into the leak. Well, if they're not true, why oh, investigate? Oh, no. It, it, I mean, I won't get into operational security things, but, you know, the enemy takes partial information that they gain through clandestine services and then they rehash it and they put in a lot of the things they want, uh, uh, you know, people to think. So you can take two truths out of stolen information, add a lie to it, and suddenly everybody believes that all three are true. It's just a basic no example. No denials from Britain true. about the 50 UK special forces and no denial from the US about the 14 US special forces. You, you can never confirm or deny. Otherwise, you'd be caught in this thing where you're just denying, and then by by not denying it, you're confirming it. So you never deny or confirm any of that stuff. So um, And even if there were 14 special forces, I mean, 14 people couldn't do much, but I've never run across It does seem a bit low. I mean, did Kirby yeah. handle it well? Did John Kirby uh, in the State Department and the White House, have they been handling these leaks well? Because they said, uh, you know, the reporters there, which are not the hardest reporters in the world, they were going... Well, if it's just all nonsense and if it's or or as you suggest, half truths or uh, intermediary intel, why do announce uh, loudly that there's going to be a multi-agency investigation? Because that suggests something is true in these Pentagon leaks. Oh, I think if, if you know, if, if they believe there was some information leaked, it doesn't have to be all of it. So the, the it's not a binary thing. You don't have to say all of the information is true or all of it is false. It's because that's how the enemy operates. They take partial information. And so I, I, I know much of that is false that, I, that I've read. Um, so, But I am not going to confirm which I know and which I don't. But I do know that they can't go through and say, yeah, that one's true. Yeah, that one's false. Yeah, that one's true. So it's really a, obviously an operation that another foreign agency was involved with, in my opinion, my humble opinion. But just because of 21-year-old. Oh, I wouldn't even speculate. I mean, it's uh, very sophisticated, so there's only a handful. But uh, who, who wins out of this? You're not going to tell me whether General Zeluzhny was irritated by it, I know. Um, was he irritated by the fact that there was all these stories from Seymour Hersh about the embezzling of U.S. public money? Uh, from Did you see any when you were in Ukraine, uh, U.S. public money valuable being wasted on Mercedes cars and the like? No, no. I mean, uh, most of the things I was working with were, were weapon systems and, and hard products, and they're treated like national assets. Like nobody's going to take a javelin and sell it on the open market. Like these things are treated, every single soldier, every commander treats these like gold. They they know that their lives and their nation's existence depend on it. So, you know, any any aid that came through like a USAID that was uh, funding to keep the government running or something, I would have no visibility to that. My my, my work was mostly with the military Not and so weapons systems. Not so much on the black market weapons trade. I was thinking just luxury cars and lifestyles of those people in the capital as opposed to the front line, ordinary uh, men and women on the front line fighting Russia. No, I can tell you that, you know, um, I think President Zelensky has implemented some um, very good policies. In he sacked a load of people. Uh, well, he's done that, but he's also changed the laws. Like the uh, the anti-corruption task force used to not have any teeth. So they could suspect somebody, but they couldn't actually take it to a charge or take it to a court. Now they have teeth. And so these are, these are fundamental changes in the laws that allow your process to work effectively. Because let's face it, there's corruption in D.C., but you need to have a, a, a good a good judicial system to be able to go after it. There's corruption and corruption. I've, I've been to K, <laughs> K Street. You know, we had Andy Milburn, the head of the Mozart Group, uh, which is fighting for Ukraine on the on the show. 
and uh, I think it, it's dissolved now. I don't know whether you came across them, whether they were any help. I mean, they were called Mozart, obviously, as an echo of Wagner. Uh, he yeah. did. Did you come across them? No, I never came across him in person. I did uh, correspond with him a little bit here and there, um, and I think he's a really stand-up, amazing guy. Did they? You know, they had some issue of corruption within their organization. He denied any not Andy, corruption. Not Andy. Yeah, there was something going on there. So I think, and I, I would correct. I, I don't believe they were fighting. They were out, um, you know, rescuing uh, innocent Ukrainian civilians that were caught in the fire, and so they were they were doing some amazing work. I'd say from a humanitarian standpoint, they weren't like the Wagner group, which is a mercenary group that actually is doing fighting for the Russians. So very big difference between what Andy put together and what uh, what the Wagner group is doing. And, uh, you know, the, the atrocities and things that Wagner group are doing on top of that just is a it makes that a comparison. The only the only reason they're compared is because he named it uh, the opposite of uh, the Wagner group. And so people compare them, but they're entirely different missions and people. And uh, and and, you know, I think they did good work, but they disbanded due to internal issues. You're saying that you admire Andy Milburn uh, of the Mozart group and, and saying they're very different to Prigozhin, who uh, last I heard was he was insulting uh, the Russian government, actually, about lack of ammunition. Uh, but Milburn said that uh, the Ukrainians are in violation of the Hague Convention and that uh, he looked at this closely. There's a, uh, he said there was an educational aspect, that Ukrainian soldiers were uh, engaged in... Uh, in violations of international agreements, killing Russian soldiers who had surrendered, videoed them. Uh, have you, did you come across anything like that? No, I haven't seen anything like that. And, uh, you know, um, I've seen the opposite. I mean, I think your, uh, your Russian soldiers that are becoming POWs are being treated fairly and they're, they, they get sent home and the prisoner exchanges and they're fat and they're very healthy as opposed to the emaciated Ukrainians that come back having suffered torture and all kinds of things. So, you know, in a giant world... I mean, like that's this, coming from Melbourne, someone you respect, saying the Ukrainians are violating... That's like asking... It's like asking a football player after a game, you know, what they experienced. The linemen and the quarterback have very different experience. So he may have seen things that I didn't. That doesn't mean I'm not going to challenge him. I'm just saying, I think the Ukrainian military, from my experience, has behaved incredibly professionally, incredibly professionally against a, a, a heinous, horrible horde of Russians that are raping, torturing, raping children, stealing, I mean, institutionalized stealing of children across all of Ukraine. You know, this is really fifth century horrible stuff. Uh, you know, if you have a soldier or two, I don't know how many man Andy seems to have seen do something wrong on the Ukrainian side. I would think they would be charged and uh, and taken up. They, um, they obviously uh, deny. They obviously deny all of that, and the denials on all the different uh, sides. When is this counteroffensive that I know you've been appearing on uh, occasionally on uh, big networks in the United States about? When is it going to happen? And uh, you in West Point right now must detect that there's a certain wariness on the part of uh, NATO nation taxpayers funding this war, the Americans spending so much, so much money uh, while infrastructure collapses at home. What does uh, Ukraine need and when is the counteroffensive beginning? You know, from a when it begins, obviously that's classified and I don't have any classified information on the exact date, but I think you'll see that, uh, uh, you know, Bakhmut, um, the 72nd Russian brigade uh, has largely been destroyed. A large part of Bakhmut has been taken back, which 
you know, you can say that's a tactical offensive or it's part of the major counteroffensive. I think time will tell. Was that part of the main effort? But, you know, you, you don't attack in the spring. That was foolish for the Russians to try to attack in the spring. You can't you can't attack armored vehicles through mud. So as the ground hardens with the sun, it becomes more passable for armored vehicles so they can fire and maneuver. So I think the, the more we get towards summer, the more likely the attack will come in a counteroffensive or multiple counteroffensives. That's what uh, happened last uh, August and September in uh, Kharkiv and Kherson. The Russians, of course, say that they have a master plan. You know, that right at the beginning, Kiev was all about not taking the capital. It was about stopping supplies, et cetera, et cetera. How is your Iraq, how is their your- plan, Their plan was to ca their plan was capture Kiev within a week. They were making restaurant uh, reservations. Russian officers were making restaurant reservations for the next weekend. Well, they they, planned to they take deny. Kiev. They deny that. They did. How is your experience in Iraq, in Tikrit? You were commerce officer, U.S. Army, 42nd Infantry Division. How has that helped uh, you understand the battle in Ukraine? Because arguably, one could say the Americans lost in Iraq. It's lost in every war, um, Vietnam, Afghanistan, no, wherever. I would. I would, How I would, is it I would definitely disagree with that. I would definitely disagree with that. We we won the war by 2010. We had zero casualties uh, the whole year in, in Iraq. We had won the war. We decided to give it up politically. Very different, very different way to look at things. Dan Rice, I'll stop you there. More from the U.S. veteran who has advised Ukraine's armed forces, Commander-in-Chief General Zelensky, after this break. Welcome back to Going Underground. I'm still here with Dan Rice, the former special advisor to Ukraine's Armed Forces Commander-in-Chief, General Zelushny. Do you think shock and awe, shock and awe style tactics by the Russians, if they bombed Kiev, the capital, just as the Americans destroyed Baghdad, uh, the health ministry, the education ministry, do you think that's where Putin is making his mistake? He needs to go in and just carpet bomb the capital of Ukraine, just as the Americans did Baghdad. I would challenge almost every word of that sentence question. So, um, no, you know, the, you know, the Americans, uh, uh, we liberated Iraq and we tried to keep casualties to a minimum. We, we never attacked civilian targets intentionally. Very different. Russians only attack civilian targets for the most part in Kyiv. They're not attacking anything military in Kyiv because there really is nothing military. So when you send 25 cruise missiles uh, on May 9th uh, for v Victory in Europe Day at Kyiv, of which Raytheon shot down 23 of 25. So the air defenses are getting much, much better but they're attacking all civilian targets it's entirely different the u.s didn't attack especially i mean maybe one or two accidental errant bombs which you have in any the u.s war. did not but attack civilian facilities in in afghanistan in iraq no they, they we never attack civilian facilities intentionally knowing there were tens no. of millions attack, killed wounded or displaced by u.s policy they're not tens of millions they're not tens of millions killed that's wounded not, or that's, displaced that's, that's, no. That statistic is way, way off for, for those wars. No. The United Nations wars. has the displacement figures. Um, you just mentioned that. Uh, actually, in January, and there is a propaganda war about the civilian killing, of course. Sure. What did you make? Have you heard of the report of 38 killed or wounded by U.S.-supplied HIMARS against a Novidar civilian hospital in eastern Ukraine in January? Are the Ukrainians actually targeting civilian infrastructure? Because I know Zelensky has signed into law banning journalists from the front line why would he do that you know there's uh there's 
there's 1300 registered uh, uh, journalists within Ukraine. So journalism has been promoted and supported. And I know this because the former chief of strategic communications is a friend of mine. So they have registered and they have allowed. Now, when you're about to go on a counteroffensive and you you don't put a bunch of people out there with satellite phones that can all radio back to, uh, you know, XYZ station in, in different places, you're about to go on a counteroffensive and your your kids or lives are at risk. But no, they've, they've done a phenomenal job overall, I think, uh, in, a, in, in helping to try to communicate to the world exactly what is happening in real times. The Russians, I mean, it's all complete disinformation. I mean, you can see the stuff being circulated by the Russians. I mean, they're pretty good at it. That's what the, actually their biggest strength is disinformation, misinformation. Um, uh, is because, it a strength? Because uh, I think most people in NATO countries would say that the Russians are the bad guys here. Has it not they, been they successful? Are. I mean, they've banned, obviously there's a First Amendment in the United States, but in Europe and, the, and uh, Britain, they've banned RT, television and so on. Uh, they've been able to ban all news coming from Russia. Is it worse in the United States? Is there a growing constituency who are doubting the war aims of uh, Washington and uh, Ukraine? I mean, I... You just I said it was successful. Been... The Russian well, it's propaganda. successful in that it's successful that it like you can hear it in some of your questions. So they 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 are very successful in making people think that some of the things they put out are correct, and they do it very effectively because they you know they're they're led by a KGB colonel. Like he spent his career in the KGB, so you know their their government is more focused on that type of thing that he grew up learning as a Soviet uh, KGB officer. So they're very good at at it. Now you can only hide the truth so long when it's so heinous the things they're doing. You know when they're when they're saying they're liberating Russian speakers. Well, everybody in Ukraine spoke Russian because the Russians occupied it under the Soviet Union. So that's a good excuse to take back all of the Soviet Union, including Latvia, Lithuania. I think there were Russian speakers before the Soviet Union in the landmass of where Ukraine. Yeah, yeah, on this, you've said the Russian military reflects Russian society. You think it's a bankrupt culture, morally bankrupt, and the intention is to kill women, children, elderly. What do you make of the banning of Russian literature in well, presumably in the environ of the American University in Ukraine. Well, the first thing I'd say is um, uh, you challenged the, that there were Russian speakers in Ukraine prior to that. Well, the Soviet Union controlled Ukraine, you know, basically uh, for the last nearly 100 years. So, of course, they were forced, they forced Russian upon them. They made everybody learn it in school. They they taught them all their propaganda-based non-truths. So, you know that they were not telling the truth, trying to, trying to uh, institutionalize this. Um, but if you look back, if you want to look back on history, I mean, the the history of Ukraine is much older than the history of, of Moscow. As so, Russians so agree, the, as Russians agree, and big three general secretaries of the Communist Party were Ukrainian. No, they, I'm just asking you, though, what do you feel as the president of the American University in Ukraine when uh, Dostoevsky books are being destroyed down the street? Well, I'm I'm always a supporter of free truth and uh, free speech. That that the truth will make it free, and that you know we will not ban free speech on campus whatsoever. I mean, people if they have opposing views, they should voice them, and and the best ideas are, are accepted. So you know we'll we'll be running the university. Just but what like do an you American feel university. personally, knowing that Tolstoy is being burnt or destroyed down the street from? The fact well, you're the first one to tell me that. I did not know that. So I this was covered so, everywhere. Uh, it's covered in U.S. media. 
No, I haven't seen that. And I also question when something's covered like that, I question, what did that mean? Like, was it the government banning it or what, who who did it and when and why? So I, I was not aware of that. What I have seen is things like they have implemented um, laws because the Russians have used the excuse that they are they invaded to liberate Russian speakers. They have said that vendors cannot speak Russian. They all must speak Ukrainian. So they're they're basically trying to say, look, we are Ukraine. You can't allow Putin to keep coming invading, you know, every seven years years because he because people are speaking Russian. So they are forcing what? Ukraine to be the main state language, which I actually agree with. What? So yeah. what, that's like Spanish in Texas, isn't it? Uh, because obviously well, those, well, who if, if, those who don't those who don't Mexico was invading us, if, if Mexico was invading us with an armed force, which some question whether they are now, but if they were invading us with an armed force saying we're coming in, in well, I think it would be considered. Texas. I mean, I think I think the d democratic United States government would have to consider all actions. I think Ukraine. that would be against the U.S. Constitution. I'm sorry. That, well, that, that's, uh, you that wouldn't would be able to be, do be that. Debated. I don't think any Supreme Court would allow that. But uh, hopefully, um, we also so don't, don't have an existential threat. We also don't have an existential threat. That's that's a massive armored force that's invading, trying to rape, kill, pillage, destroy the culture. It's not just a military war. It's a military, political, economic, and religious war. So if you don't think that the Russian Orthodox Church is heavily involved, mostly with spies, so you agree uh, with the persecution of the Russian Orthodox Church's leaders, as uh, uh, alleged by those who support. Luhansk and Donetsk and so on. Uh, I didn't say that. I didn't say, agree with persecution. I, I agree that everybody should be investigated, that there's lots of people that you have to investigate in a situation like this where you have an active uh, kinetic operation, but you also have guerrilla warfare from both sides. So you have to investigate people, and that's what you do. And okay, so, the fu fundamental yeah. military uh, question as we're coming out of time. Uh, when uh, people are pushed into a corner, uh, as a military man, I think you'll know what uh, people do. Uh, most of humanity voted, uh, refused to vote to condemn Russia at the United Nations General Assembly uh, when uh, the events of uh, February last year happened. Um, why are you so convinced that if the counteroffensive is successful, no tactical nuclear or tactical conventional but high-powered missile will not be aimed uh, at uh, the capital of Ukraine or even suppliers of uh, weapons, countries that supplied weapons to, I mean, the Nord Stream, obviously, pipeline explosion, uh, the news about that's in Russia all the time. Why are you so convinced that these countries will be fine or even United States interests more widely, Rammstein base in Germany, is safe? I'm not. I think Russia's out of control. I think there's a chance they could use a tactical nuke. I think there's a chance they could melt down this Zaporizhia nuclear plant. I think the world has to agree that we can't be held hostage by that a, a nuclear Russia power. That would affect Russia if they did that, though. Well, it would affect southern Russia, which he doesn't really care about. So he only cares about St. Petersburg and Moscow. So a little bit of nuclear fallout on the southern part of Russia is not going to bother Putin. He's been known to kill his own people. He kills his own people all the time. So that's really... He kills them not only at home, but he kills them abroad. I mean, okay. these, these are these are facts. Obviously, he, he would deny that. But so you're saying that it is a possibility that your advice to uh, the commander-in-chief of Ukrainian forces, which presumably included the need for a counteroffensive, could destroy the earth. Because no. you've just countenanced the idea of a nuclear assault. No, no, you've just taken you've just taken four different giant leaps of faith. Putin using a tactical nuke is up to him. The question is, what does the what does the West do when he becomes an aggressor and takes over a neighbor and rapes, pillage, loots, takes the but children? Isn't that the do reason why China and Russia 
don't attack the United States when it illegally invades Iraq because it, the United States has nuclear weapons. This is the idea of a deterrent. But what, no, the, what you're the, advising the, 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 to General Zavizhny is... The, invas the invasion of Iraq, nobody, nobody ever expected us to take the ground and hold it for our own purposes. That's what Russia is doing here. That's an aggressor nation. We're a liberator nation. Everybody knew we were going in. We were not going to stay there. And we didn't. We won the war and we didn't stay there. We could have taken all the oil. We didn't. We we never take we never take the resources of the countries that we help liberate, whether it's France okay, or whether I think, it's. I think uh, most of the world, uh, arguably, would probably beg to differ on that, whether it be <laughs> Libya, Syria, or Afghanistan, or whatever. Why no peace talks? Why is John Kirby saying he's against peace talks? The Chinese plan for peace talks negotiations destroyed. There's no negotiation. You, you, he invaded. He, the same dictator was there in 2014 when he invaded. The same guys here in two, 2022. All the land he took in 2014 and 2022 needs to be retrieved back and needs to be liberated by Ukraine. So until he's gone, there's no there's no discussion. You don't negotiate with a madman who's an aggressor with the nuclear weapons threatening to use them. You just say, we will beat you on the, on the battlefield, and we will. Do you think... You just said we will. Do you think Ukraine would immediately lose if it wasn't for the European Union, Britain, and the United States arming Ukraine to the teeth? I think there should have been never a war here because we well, no, guaranteed. I just asked a question there. No, 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 I'm, no, I'm saying, I'm saying Ukraine. there would never have been an invasion had we had we lived up to our obligation under the 1994 Budapest Accords, which guaranteed the safety in exchange for their nuclear weapons. Ukraine gave up their nuclear weapons, which were their defense against Russia. They gave them up because we said we would defend them. We didn't in 2014. Now in 2022, so you prefer Ukraine to have nuclear weapons now. No, you're, 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 no, I would prefer we had signed the Well, you believe before. nuclear weapons are a deterrent, but nuclear weapons aren't uh, a deterrent because you've just expressed the point that, that what is needed now is to continually arm Ukraine to fight Russia. You're jumping from subject to subject so quickly, we can't focus on one of them. I mean, if you actually look at Alfred Nobel's beliefs, Alfred Nobel, the Nobel Peace Prize, he believed in deterrence. And he hoped that someday, and this is the 1800s, he hoped someday there would be weapons that would be so extreme that both sides would not actually attack each other. And that's actually what has happened in the Cold War. Now, you had mutual assured destruction when, when Ukraine had nuclear weapons. In the U.S.'s efforts to get non-proliferation, to, to reduce the number of countries, we gave a guarantee along with Britain and Russia that Ukraine would stay free. We didn't live up to it. When we signed the 1994 Budapest Accords, we should have put an international force along the border, just like we have in the DMZ in Korea. You put an international force there, Russia's not going to attack it. They didn't have to join NATO. They well, just, the Minsk Accords was arguably what Russia believed. And of course, Angela Merkel, the former chancellor, said that was just for NATO to arm to continually kill people in Donbass. How many Ukrainians have been killed? Estimates are between 157,000 to 300,000 Ukrainians dead. Uh, would this war still be going on if NATO stopped arming Zelensky? I... Uh if NATO stopped arming Zelensky, the uh, 38 million people would be occupied and terrorized and the country of Ukraine would cease to exist. And they would be occupied. And I mean, he had 24 tor torture chambers in Kherson alone. You know, this is an occupying force that would have been raping, killing, pillaging and looting. Yes, if NATO didn't supply, Yes, Ukraine would have fallen. Absolutely. That's a military fact. Nobody disputes that. The only way that Ukraine could keep going is the brave Ukrainian soldiers 
trained by the West, and only the Ukrainians are fighting and dying. And they're dying, not just for Ukraine. They're dying for Moldova. They're dying for Poland. They're dying for Sweden, Finland. They are dying because the Russian aggressor is on the move again, and nobody's safe. And they all realize it. And you have some amazing leadership, like the president of Poland. These are leaders that are stepping up, and we realize that they're protecting their people. They're protecting their nation by arming Ukraine and fighting the Russians in the country they just invaded. And they can't stop till the invader is gone, that the aggressor with nuclear weapons is gone. And that comes with it, some really tough, bad versus worse decisions. These are not easy things. When you try to put it in a binary binary argument, it's, it's almost impossible to argue. The reality is this war is an elective war on Putin's fault. He was the invader in 2014. He was the invader in 2022. He needs to go from office. Hopefully the Russian people will get rid of him. Well, clearly he's, he's very popular and many people believe that uh, the people are dying because there are no peace negotiations. But uh, Dan Wright. I, I, I don't know anybody that's educated about the subject that believes that. That's, that's ridiculous. You're going you're gonna to actually stop the fighting to give up the land that they just invaded and stole? That, that, that just encourages the comeback for more. Dan Rice, thank you. Thank you. And that's it for the show. We'll be back on Monday with the Putin paradox author, Professor Richard Sakwa, for a different view on how the war in Ukraine is going. Until then, you can keep in touch via all our social media if it's not censored in your country and head to our channel, Going Underground TV on Rumble.com, to watch new and old episodes of Going Underground. See you Monday.